summer, sweet summer. Oh my gosh, it's been a wonderful summer. But even though the heat spells and the wildfires still waft through our days, for so many of us, summer is drawing to a close. Now, I spent this summer chasing the cool breezes, but only to find refreshment in the warmer than normal ocean waves at the beach. My gosh, wasn't it warm? I couldn't believe how warm it was. I indulged more than normal and made at least weekly visits to somewhere where I could get myself into that warm water. It was awesome. (laughs) And some of my other memories worth sharing this summer were the times I spent at the OC Fair You know, I don't typically go to the fair all that often. I mean, we go for music and whatnot, but I don't linger around as much as I did this year. And I guess it's because like so many parents, we seem to only get to where, get to go where our kids want to go themselves. And that's because my son, he attends in the Culinary Arts and Hospitality Conservatory over at Orange County School of the Arts. And so because many of his classmates and his instructors were at the fair this summer helping to create a dynamic exhibit in the culinary promenade, I was able to go pretty often this summer summer. I loved their tagline. It was called Release Your Inner Farmer. And that was kind of fun. Um, so if you've been tuned in to the last couple of weeks for the show for the last two weeks, you have really kind of participated in my summer series about how our local community shares its passion for food. So today, as we wrap up our summer series on the fair, we are bringing in a local father and daughter that helped create one of my favorite exhibits at the fair. Now for this family, it really is a family affair. They have been dubbed a happy spamily because in the past they have all three, mother, father, daughter, have participated in making certain culinary, well, I guess you would say gourmet spam dishes. And so that was kind of a fun exhibit that they participated in the past. So although we don't have the mom on, she gets a big nod because she has been a big part of entering food items in the fair. And I wanted to mention that if this is something you're thinking about, trying your luck at the fair and seeing if the dish that all your friends tell you is wonderful, well, you know, now's a good time to go online because they have the instructions how to enter for next year. And I don't think it stays up all year long. So look now and then you'll have to look later um, towards the beginning of the year. So good timing. Um, go to our OC Fair and Events Center and I think you will find all the information for entering food items on the fair. So now enjoy today's interview. Well, so welcome, Bella and Steve Vague. It was such a pleasure watching the two of you completely in your element at the Orange County Fairgrounds this past month and a half. It was just, it was a treat. And I, I want to tell our listeners, since this has been a bit of a series that we've been conducting here at KUCI, I want to tell them about your experience and what all you guys did while you were there and just everything Orange County Fair. So thank you for being on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, thank you. Pleasure to be here. So I mentioned in the intro that Bella is also a student at the Orange County School of the Art in the Mechchin Family Culinary Arts and Hospitality Program. We had the directors of that program on last week, and I want to hear from another student, since you're the first student that we got to have on, about that experience that the school gives you as really is not so much part of the curriculum, but as a volunteer component that really enhances your education. Talk to me about what it was like to participate in the fair with your school. Well, uh, working at the fair was really a good opportunity for me to showcase what I've learned uh, at the school. And it really helped me with skills on how to talk to people and present because um, I did a demo on stage talking about kombucha and June tea. So also, we had an OSHA booth, which really showed the public about what our school is about and what we do at OSHA. And it was, it was a really good opportunity for me and my fellow students 
to uh, get exposure for the school and to showcase what we really do. I love that. There were several students involved in each day. Tell me about how many students do you think passed through on those weekends when you guys were doing demos, um, both at the table and on the stage? I believe it was around uh, 8 to 10 students who were there. Okay. And then you did that for four weekends, or I think it was maybe six weekends, right? I believe it was four weekends, yeah. Okay. So we got to interview Pam Winnock, and she talked about all the different things that were going on in the culinary, they called it the culinary promenade, is that correct? Yes. Okay. You and your dad, well, so actually, let's bring your your dad in. Steve, tell us really quickly the demo that you did as well. Well, it wasn't really, um, I guess it was a demo. Uh, it was more a uh, hands-on interaction with the public as part of the um, uh, culinary crawls you were talking about. That Pam had arranged that the people could have a docent taken from each booth and, and meet each vendor and, and person from the community. Um, Orange County Honey, the Master Food Preservers, um, Stefan Triant, um, all of these wonderful people. And our stop was just one little stop where people could uh, learn about charcuterie and we um, demonstrated beef jerky on on one weekend and showed how to make sausage uh, for a couple other weekends. Okay so beef jerky one weekend and sausage another. Did you help your dad out with that Bella? Uh, Yeah actually I did the whenever the crawl came around we gave a little speech and um, had the members of the crawl um, stuff that the sausage that we were demoing and um, I led a few of those okay so how many of those would you do a day I believe that there was one at two four six and seven thirty. Oh, so you had a jam-packed day of giving demos and teaching and interacting with the public didn't you yeah so this tradition of participating in the Orange County Fair for your family is not a new one since you've been a culinary student, is it? No. You guys are, you, you've been doing this for a long time. Tell me a little bit about your family and, and why, why the interaction with Orange County Fair and what all you've been doing throughout the years. Well, uh, when I was in fourth grade, I joined 4-H. Uh, my dad put me in 4-H and I couldn't figure out a project to be in, so I decided poultry would have been would be a fun project I'm like oh my gosh I can have a pet chicken and when I started doing it I realized that it was market poultry not showmanship poultry so they weren't <laughs> friends they were food and were you disappointed I, and how old were you I was fourth grade so around nine nine I okay think. um and it was but it was a good experience for me to learn where my food came from because before I was nine. I didn't really eat any meat. And once I saw how I could raise my own meat and how it, how you can do it humanely, it really like changed my mindset. And it's when I started to actually open up and eat meat. Um, so my, I, when I was in fourth grade, I showed my broilers at the OC fair. They weren't very good. I got second to last place, but I still got to go to auction. And I did that for three years. Huh. When you say go to auction, that means you showed your animals that you raised? Yes. So the animals that I raised, they were market. And the Junior Livestock Auction is an auction that takes place every year at the Orange County Fair where FFA and 4-H members will sell or auction off their animals that they had raised. So if it's a cow, pig, goat, 
chickens, rabbits, you name it, and they're auctioning them off. And the money that they get goes towards the next animal that they'll raise the following year. Okay, I see. And so you raise some money for the animal, and then that goes towards your program for the following year. Yes. So, but it's not always the case because sometimes you may not get the, uh, the enough money to cover the cost. Like my first year, I got $50, and the fair charged me 25 for them living there for the week. So I got $25 for the two broilers, but it was a learning experience. Okay, so you struck on a note that I think is a big buzzword right now in terms of how we take care of and then also how we turn our farm animals into food. But you said humanely. And tell me what that meant for you as a nine-year-old in fourth grade when you started this process. When I started it, I I saw the chicks and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're so cute. They're like my little friends. And I wanted to treat them with as much respect and as much care as they deserve. And, you know, if they're going to only live for eight weeks because that's how long it takes for a boiler to grow you might as well give them a good eight weeks and only let them have one bad day so that seems pretty fast that they would grow from baby to full-grown and ready for ready for the slaughter at, in yeah. eight weeks the uh, chickens have been genetically modified well they've been crossbred um for a long time bre- breeding the fattest chickens with the ones that grow the fastest and there's no hormones or anything in their food. It's just how they crossbreeded the birds to make them grow um, in eight weeks. Okay, so are they growing faster than a normal chicken? Is that what no, your that's thought a, is? Yeah, well, the eight weeks is a typical uh, food chicken. So when you're buying a chicken in the market, those are eight-week-old chickens. But perhaps a laying, laying chicken, so if they lay eggs for an egg market or something, they take around six months to get full grown to start laying eggs. Okay. All right. So, okay, this is interesting to me. So now if you've been there since you were nine years old, how old are you now? Um, I'm going to be 15 in two weeks. And have you met buyers that have come through and have purchased from you that are still coming back to the fair year after year? Yeah, actually, my first mentor I ever had, her name was Clover. Um, she bought my first pair of broilers for the $50 ones. And a few years later, she ended up buying my birds again, and she comes to the fair every year. And she probably comes to check out what you've raised, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. And in what capacity was she a mentor to you? She helped me with the process of um, getting buyers to, or uh, getting people to buy my animals. So she would. She's a. She's been buying animals for a long time at the fair, and she goes to schools like SSA and 4-H and things and tells the members who are ready to go to auction what the buyers look for and like if you should give them a gift afterwards or just the the like etiquette for having your animal be purchased at the fair. Oh, fascinating. You know, I don't know that there's too many people in Orange County that know how active the 4-H program is here. Can you care to comment on that a little bit? It's kind of a, yeah, a silent um, uh, organization until you get to the fair. Yeah, it is. Um, most people have the idea that 4-H is all livestock, which a lot of it is still because that's what it started with over 100 years ago. And um, But now it's going towards a lot of STEM programs and robotics, art, cooking, things like that. 
So, but we, I believe we have 800 members in Orange County and wow. eight of or the nine junior, clubs. Of the junior 4-H? Of, yes, the junior 4-H. Well, that's significant. Yeah. Okay, so if you're just tuning in, this is Real People OC, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin, and I am pleased to be joined by Bella Vay and her father, Steve, here talking to us about the 4-H program in Orange County, the Orange County Fair, and the Culinary Promenade that really just closed down this last weekend. There were so many interesting things going on. I decided to devote a little mini-series to this process. I was excited about many of the I would have to say maybe some of the newer aspects to the fair. Whenever I go to the fair, I am prepared to have junk food. And this time I steered clear and I only had a macaroon at uh, Stefan Trion's. He is a master. Well, I'm, I know I'm going to mess this up because Pamela Winock told me about this. He is a master uh, pastry chef from France. And also I pretty much just drank the kombucha. So let's circle back. Actually, you know what? Before we leave the 4-H topic, Steve, can you come in and talk to me a little bit about your interaction with the 4-H at this most recent fair and also I'd like you to comment if you would please advice you shared with me when we were sitting there on the stage and I said something about me not liking chicken and you said that we just simply haven't had um, chicken properly raised so let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah um, I'd like to kind of reiterate what uh, what Bella was saying about the chickens and she said the, the bad words GMO and um, chickens, uh, they're, they're called the Cornish cross um, breed. A, uh, a standard layer today still takes about six months for it to mature, like you said. And the eight-week chicken is just, um, in the last hundred years, they've uh, bred chickens with the larger and the fastest, the ones that, that eat the, uh, the most, and they gain a lot of weight. And through natural selection, well, or actually <laughs> through... Um, putting the right chickens together, we have kind of a super chicken now. And um, when you feed chickens organic food and you give them berries and, and you let them lead out happy lives, the, the meat's just delicious. It's People just really don't remember what it tastes like because a lot of commercial chickens, the, the diets they give them and the way that they're handled, they just don't taste the same. Um, 4-H is... Um, the University of California Cooperative Extension. So it's a program that was developed at the turn of the century um, for for parents to learn from the children actually how to have improved uh, agricultural and, and farming techniques and livestock techniques. Um, today, like Bella said, it's science-oriented. Uh, some of the, the, the biggest skills that Bella has received from that program are, are – um, public speaking and doing demonstrations. That was a big part of her growth in that program. Um, I volunteered with my wife and we started not only with raising the the urban chickens, but um, teaching food preservation, teaching kids how to, to, to make beef jerky and how to dry meats and make sausage and how to make sauerkraut and jams and jellies and pickles. And so Bella has kind of left out, maybe we want to talk about that, that a big part of her 4-H history was um, entering preserved foods, and that's ultimately how she got into the culinary building. Oh, okay. So we, we can transition to that. Before we do, I wanted you to share with our listeners that you also purchased an animal there at the fair this year. Tell me about that tradition. 
you know, it's it's, it's a lot of fun that um, we didn't we were, didn't want to step up because it seemed like a big commitment. Uh, last year, Sam went up, the, the culinary supervisor, uh, a great mentor to a lot of kids um, at the Orange County Fair, uh, asked if we wanted to go in on a quarter of a pig. And um, it's not really that big of a commitment. You get about 172 pounds of meat out of a pig, so divided by four people, um, you know, you're looking at uh, 45 pounds or so. It's not a lot, a lot of meat. Um, it's delicious because um, the kids have taken care of the animals, treated them humanely, fed them healthy diets, and there's just a sweetness and a richness to the meat that uh, you pay a lot of money for, and you're supporting kids in the, the community, future farmers of America, 4-H kids, and um, it's really neat. So this year, um, three of the chefs, or two of the directors, Chef Matos, Chef Shuffolino that you just had on the show, and, and Crane, we all went on, on an animal, <clears throat> and um, it was a lot of fun. So we, we had uh, a local butcher, Electric City Butcher. We, we talked to them and had them cut cuts like a, a copa that you would make a capicola out of, um, a green ham, which instead of cutting the, the pork shoulder, we had them cut into hams, and Bella's been curing those, and we're making bacon, and all sorts of things that, uh, cuts that you wouldn't necessarily get if you were just to, to buy pork in the store. So it's, um, this is our second year, it's a lot of fun. So, okay, I love that we're talking about what I think has become such a lost art for society today but you're giving me loads of hope <laughs> telling me how many members are in the 4-H club program and then also to see Bella's enthusiasm here she is she's been doing this since the fourth grade where she's really learned and taken more of a concerted effort into food and like she said at the beginning of the interview where her food comes from so let's move if we could to the segment on preserving and that is such a fascination to me right now. And I want to hear about the kombucha recipe for June tea because I didn't know about that. And I'd like you to explain that to me. So uh, recently I've been doing more and more research on kombucha because it's a big hobby of mine. I love my scoby. It's one of my favorite things ever. And I stumbled across... <laughs> should, we, should we tell something. our listeners what a scoby is? Oh, a, a scoby is a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. It looks like an alien. It's a big blob, and it's the source of all the bacteria and yeast for the kombucha and is what gives it the fizzy and gives it all the probiotics. All the fermented flavors. Yes. So years ago, and Bella, I'm taking, taking me back a little bit. Steve, you might remember, but we had these horrible things called chain letters, and they were quite annoying. But we had one that was related to this stuff called mushroom tea, and somebody would grow the mushroom in their fridge and then cut off part of it and give it to a friend. And that, that we were growing in our fridge, if we did it right, um, we grew yet another mushroom and then we would have to share it with somebody else. And I don't know, maybe you should bring the chain letter back, Bella. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was early kombucha. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the same idea. And with the scobies, when you can cut a piece off and give it to someone or you can make another jar, have a separate jar of kombucha. Um, and for the June tea, I stumbled across the recipe for June tea, and I said, what is this? How and do we spell that for the listeners? It's J-U-N. 
Okay. And I looked it up, and it said it was made with green tea and honey. And I thought to myself, that's pretty strange because all of the kombucha recipes and this really great book that I use for kombucha, um, it says strictly you can only use black tea and sugar, um, nothing else, because the honey ha- uh, has bacteria-killing properties in it, and it can kill the bacteria that you're trying to develop in the kombucha. So when I stumbled across this recipe, I thought it was crazy, and I started doing more research on it. And it's said to have been be- even before kombucha, and it's basically the same thing. Uh, you make a strong green tea and you add honey and dissolve the honey and you add a scoby but it has to be a different scoby than uh, kombucha it has to be adapted to june tea and you ferment it just like kombucha and it's a lot fizzier and not as strong tasting and pungent it's real i like i prefer it over kombucha it's really good so it's it's milder and a little more mellow yeah a lot more mild well, so I do know that people that are kombucha makers are using honey because my neighbor in Villa Park, she is um, supplying her Villa Park honey to a, a local farmer's market kombucha maker, and they're using her honey to make it. So fascinating. Why yeah. does it work? It's because the yeasts and bacteria that are in the kombu- or the SCOBY are feeding off of the sugars and caffeine from the tea and the uh, honey and leaving back a um, res- uh, gas, which is what makes the kombucha have that fermented flavor and the bubbles in it. Okay, very cool. I would love to hear a little bit more about the sausage demo and the beef jerky demo that the two of you did while you were there. Dad, do you want to go ahead? Oh, sure. Um, well, we have a couple of... Um, a couple of different sausage makers, uh, a five pounder and a 20 pound. Um, and, uh, the, the, the demo that we gave, um, at, at the fair, uh, we wanted to share with the public that you can purchase ground pork or use any protein. You can use uh, ground Turkey, ground chicken, duck, um, a, a number of different proteins, venison, veal, um, whatever you, you like and you can make it your own and, and making a sausage can be as simple as mixing up a, a meat with different spices like making a meatloaf and making it into patties you don't necessarily have to put a link on uh, i'm sorry a casing on it um so we just wanted to get that across to, to to people that if you mix some some sage and sugar and black pepper and some basic seasonings to pork you can have a really delicious um, breakfast sausage, and you know what's in it, and there's no preservatives. It's going to be much healthier to um, to give to your kids. So we, we did bring casings and showed how to make Italian sausage. Um, well, the beef jerky was the same type of thing. We talked about um, a biltong. That was Pam went up. She's a culinary genius. Um, she she made a biltong box and. And basically, that's a South African beef jerky that's air-dried. So a, a small white in a fan in a box. And this would be like bush meat that people have been eating for thousands of years. Instead of drying it in a food dehydrator or an oven, this is um, beef that's been coated with black pepper, salt, and coriander, then hung to air-dry for four days. It has a, a richness um, 
like a uh, prosciutto, but it's the texture similar to a beef jerky and the flavor profile of pastrami. It's really, really unique and delicious. So that was one of the things that uh, she was allowing people to sample. And then we basically were showing people how they could simply, in their oven or food dehydrator, make a variety of different beef jerkies with some soy sauce and Worcester and put a simple spin on it, like adding um, adding some sriracha, um, adding some ginger, or, or making it their own. So uh, people were really engaged when we really kind of made things simple so that somebody could go home and buy a couple of ingredients and do something fun and bring back the lost arts, like you were talking about. I love it. So- I love it. If you're just tuning in, this is Real People OC, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin, and I have with me today talking about the Orange County Fair that we just wrapped up for 2018, Bella and Steve Fay. They are a father-daughter team, and uh, we're just hearing all about the stuff that you guys contributed to the fair. What I love about the fair is it's a true community event, but for you guys, it's really a family event because your mom gets in on this as well, doesn't she? Yes, she does. Is she handy, by the way? Is she available? No, she's not. She, okay. uh, she's asleep. But this year, we're very proud of her because she entered about six things into the preserved food category. And she won some first places, some third places, and um, she won a division winner, which was really big. Oh, very proud. And you said, um, was one of them spam? I think I heard you talk about that. Yes. Two years ago, my mom won the spam contest, and she well, she won second place in the spam contest, making a spam Monte Cristo. A spam Monte Cristo, a, a fair favorite for sure. Spam Monte Cristo. Well, I love the concept that you guys, and especially at the fair, because the fair is all about interesting food. Tell me more about the spam situation. <laughs> well, uh, a couple of years ago, we were approached by Pam Winock. And she had suggested that, uh, well, actually she'd asked that, that more kids were involved. It's pretty competitive with the adults. And uh, Bella placed first place. And like she said, Jackie, my wife, uh, came in second place with her um, um, Spam and Cristo. What was everybody um, asked to do? Create a dish from Spam? Is that what it was? Yeah. So, so basically they have a team and you uh, try to do something creatively and, and elevate spam and do something simple that anybody can do with some simple ingredients uh, purchased over the counter and, and make it into something fun. So um, this was my third year competing, and Bella took second place this year, and I took first place. So I have an opportunity to compete in the nationals in Hawaii. Um, so we consider ourselves now a happy family as we've all placed <laughs> first or second place in uh, I love it. <laughs> the Orange County Spam competition. Awesome, awesome. I love it. And so you've certainly uh, fortified a pretty neat relationship with Pam over there and the programming that she has to offer. It seems like you guys are all a pretty intricate part of that. Tell me tell me some more about how that relationship has evolved. Well, we're 100% in, and, and Pam has afforded uh, Bella the opportunity to uh, do demonstrations on stage and stage in front of uh, 150 people since the age of 12, and so she's honed a lot of those those public speaking skills, and and Pam has guided her in how to um, how to make better entries for her 
preserve foods and, and win awards and um, just really been a fantastic person to help uh, guide fellow along her culinary journey. Awesome. I love it. I guess that's really what the fair is about, community coming together, sharing important skills, and it sounds like you guys have developed quite quite a number of relationships through the Orange County Fair. And I guess for me, after I sat and observed all of this over the couple weekends that I was there, I really just wanted to share that with everybody. And that is the reason I decided to devote so much time to the Orange County Fair, because I, I didn't go and do the traditional things. I didn't do any rides. I didn't do any of the, the crazy fair food. But I really immersed myself in the culinary promenade where they talked about releasing your inner farmer. And I just thought it was fabulous. So I'm so pleased that I got to learn more about all of this with with the two of you. Well, thank you. It's been uh, a lot of fun speaking with you tonight. So the backdrop of all of this, Bella, is that you started at a really young age um, learning about food, like you said, where food comes from, and then preserving food, which is probably one of the most important things we bring, bring back to our culture because not only have we lost a lot through the way we process food now, but We've lost a lot of the health of our own food, and preserving food seems to bring a lot of that back into the equation for us. I'd love to know, since we've had the directors of the Orange County um, School of the Arts, the culinary program, I'd love to know a little bit more about this for you, because this is really you building your future. So let's talk a little bit about what this program has meant to you, and also uh, what you plan to do with all that you're learning over there. Well, the culinary program at OSHA, it means almost everything to me. Um, it's one of my, probably my proudest moment was getting into OSHA for culinary. And it's really helped me with my culinary journey. And it's just taught me a lot about the industry and getting my surface certification at 14 years old, being able to be a manager of a restaurant at 14 years old with this card. And, um, it's done a lot for me, and uh, I plan. I I'm still not sure yet because I'm only a sophomore, and I, but I wanna. I don't know if I'm gonna go into hospitality because I like the hospitality aspect of culinary, but I also like the cooking side, so I'm still figuring that out. <laughs> okay, and what about you, Steve? You have been a very integral parent involved as a volunteer over there. Uh, I'd love to know what the parent component contributes to the program and what all you've accomplished in the two years that you've been involved? Well, um, this is our second year, and it, it takes a village. The The program um, that uh, Chef Alino, Chef Matos, the directors, have put together and, and their team of people, it's just amazing. It's, it's like the, uh, the perfect storm for, for any kid. Um, the commitment that they make, the dedication. Um, the kids are getting a college education uh, at a high school level. And um, it's just amazing. And it takes more than dropping off your kids, obviously, to, to keep the program running. Um, in addition to the, the typical volunteering and showing up for events and, um, you know, volunteering for the, the regular things, um, we decided to help out with the terrace garden and thought a nice addition would be some, some poultry since Bella has some experience, but the, the urban terrace garden really didn't lend itself to, to raise chickens. So we decided to use quail uh, to raise it. quail. <laughs> I love it. So instead of 
instead of um, well, the, the kids in the culinary could use the the quail eggs for their uh, appetizers and for um, different things, and um, have some chickens there, or not chickens, I'm sorry, quail, and the the kids and all the different people can combine see them. So this is a, a collaborative effort um, with the zoology department at the um, at the school, with the um, the science department, and, and the culinary. So three different conservatories have been involved with the care of these animals. Uh, many of the quail that are still there were hatched uh, in the science the science rooms with Chris Chung and Christine Kahlberg from the zoology. The kids last year helped out with raising them, and uh, this year's Jeff excuse me Chef Chefalino will. Um, have the production kids do more with the birds and with the eggs. Uh, as a matter of fact, now the kids are selling the eggs at Electric City Butcher and at the Santa Ana uh, Farmer's Market. I love it. I love it. Way to, way to turn a little bit of a fundraiser out of that. And so where do you see the Terrace Garden and the quail egg setup going? Is it a program uh, there, there's you plan a to lot expand? Of well, there's there's a lot of attention uh, that the California Restaurant Association has seen this, and people in the community. Um, the garden, um, the main purpose, and, and it's not that it makes so much money, is it's just an educational tool that the kids can harvest the eggs, and package the eggs, and sell the eggs, and it's a complete. You know, I know people overuse it the the farm to fork, but but truly, the school can can have an active part. In, in raising things and selling them at the market. Um, you know, we have pollinators um, in, in the garden, and there's lots of butterflies down. It's a, a place where the kids can can hang out at lunch. And um, Chef Matos, one of his goals is to uh, make that an educational place by having diverse types of gardens, um, hydroponics, vertical gardens, um, you know, Native American plants, herbs, so uh, the main reason for the garden is, uh, you know, for herbs for the culinary, but more as an educational tool for the kids. Awesome. I love it. My daughter at her high school, it was the Samueli Academy in Santa Ana, they had the uh, hydroponic garden that also had the fish, and the fish um, basically fertilized the water that, that uh, all the plants grew from. It was pretty spectacular. I loved that cycle of, of life. It was interesting. very interesting. Uh, maybe we should organize a tour for you if they're still doing that over there. I sure hope they are. So, well, this has been awesome. I love talking to you guys. And is there anything else more that you want to share with the listeners while we have you together tonight? Yeah, I think that it's just, um, you know, it's it's not just serendipitous, but it's it's community and so a lot of like-minded people, like you said, the, um, the, the bringing back... You know, nothing that we're doing is is new or crazy or things that our grandparents didn't do, but educating the uh, the future on um, healthier alternatives, ways of preparing their food, ways of raising their food without the use of um, uh, plastics with BPA and insecticides. And um, it's kind of liberating to the kids, and uh, we're, we're super happy to have all the people at the fair and be part of that family and part of the OSHA family. 
You know, you mentioned one of the things earlier in the interview where you you talked about one of the guiding uh, motivations for you with the 4-H program was, and, and also like you said, through the sausages and, and the, um, the jerky, that you wanted to teach the kids to how to have healthier food. Why is that so important in today's world? Well, you know, I think that, that um, a lot of the, the alternative is, is, is cheap, cheaply produced um, commercial foods that, that might seem like they taste good. But um, I'll, I'll give you a story that one of my kids, he was about 11 or 12 years old, and um, we were making beef jerky. And for the, for the uh, Imaginology show they have at the Orange County Fair every year, for the youth show, um, he made bison beef jerky. He went to Whole Foods and shows a different kind. When he went to school, he had bragging rights. And these kids <laughs> and even these boys are so proud of, look what I can do. Look what I made. And um, That sense of accomplishment. It is. And whether it's smoking meats or making, uh, and in the classes that Bella and I teach, uh, we might do something like making sauerkraut. Now, how does that translate to kids? We um, we make homemade sauerkraut that has a crunch and a, it's just delicious. It's nothing like the stuff you buy in the stores. And then we made Rubens the following month, and the kids had never had a Ruben before. And then they're like, wow, this is pretty good. And then we can take it a step further, and we can make the corned beef, or we can make the pastrami and cure it ourselves. So we try to make it relevant. Instead of just making jams and then walking away, what, what can we do with that jam? How can we make it? something that they want to do when they're engaged. Sort of trailing it back to the source so you can get closer to the origin of the food, but also to ensure the health of the food in that process. Absolutely. Bella, let me ask you this. Have you been aware throughout this journey with your family of the importance of healthy food and what it takes and how hard it is in today's society to actually make a healthy food? food to eat food item to eat definitely because let me be honest my favorite food is fried chicken I'm not going <laughs> to deny that but I, I now the going to OSHA for culinary and through doing these 4-H things I realized that I can take something that I love like fried chicken and make a healthier version of it I love that because I've been trying to drive these messages through to my kids and I'm lucky that you know I have a son who loves to cook and he's very engaged and very interested. But in the very beginning, when he came home and started cooking and he told his dad to buy canola oil on the way home, I said, well, son, we don't cook with canola oil in our house. He goes, well, mom, I have to because that's the way it's done in the restaurant business. And I said, well, to be honest with you, I, I really hope you don't do it the way it's always been done because that's where the problems lie and not where the solutions are. So, um, you, you know, it's just one of those things where we do need to do things differently, don't we? Yeah, definitely. And I, I guess it gives me some hope that the younger generation is tuned into this so they know a bit of the differences about what is and what isn't healthy. And um, do you think you can make your mark in the future in food in this way? Is that something that you have a, a desire to do? Um, no, I don't I don't think necessarily like going into health foods because that's not something I have a strong suit in. But definitely going back to where our food originally came from and even if it's something like making fried chicken or a grilled cheese sandwich but making it with the best cheese you can get possible 
or the best chicken you can get possible, raised without antibiotics, or things like that. Just simple little things like that can really make a difference. Boy, it sure can. And, um, and it gives me a lot of hope that somebody your age is focused on that and um, that they're teaching you guys about this type of thing in the school, in the school program is pretty, pretty remarkable. It's pretty exciting. It is. Okay. Okay. Kimberly, your, your point about the, um, canola oil, the canola oil, it's, it's absolutely true that, that cooking with um, vegetable oils and, and to become a, 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 a substance that's not really good for you when they get up to high temperatures, where is something as simple as a tallow and using uh, animal fats is actually probably much healthier for you using a natural product. Um, we have a, uh, a friend from the Orange County Fair, Chef uh, Ernest Miller, who works in a test kitchen. He, he's a food preservation expert. He's a um, worked at the uh, Cordon Bleu as an instructor, um, a master food preserver. He's just an incredible man. And um, he's, he's proving to the world the benefits of going back to a more natural source fat to cook with if you are going to cook with fat and um like you said just because they've been doing it this way or tell you that vegetable shortening is good for you it's not necessarily good for you that's right and the fats we're learning um that have really been pushed on to us through the through the last 20 30 years really more actually i think it's um since the 50s is when it started um is actually unstable and unhealthy. So it's, it's, it's taken so much effort, even just in conversations with people casually, or even just my mom, you know, focusing on how we've gotten it so wrong. Like we couldn't have been more wrong. And I would be interested for you to share with our listeners what tallow is, because I bet you any money, most people don't know what tallow is. It sounds like a a brand new word. So tell us what tallow is. I'll let you do the honors. (laughs) Yeah. Tallow is beef fat. Beef fat. Beef fat, and it's been around forever and ever and ever, and that's what gave McDonald's the delicious tasting fries for 30, 40 years. And it wasn't until the 90s, I think, they decided to to be uh, to go with the uh, the popular consensus and switch to shortening. And now they flavor their French fries with artificial beef flavoring, um, but they just had a richness to them, and they were natural and and actually much healthier for you using a natural oil from beef fat than um, a synthetically made um, vegetable oil. Boy, isn't that ironic. If you could even dream up a way to make French fries more unhealthy, they they managed to do that. And I think they were pressured into doing it. You know, um, I remember the day when the recipe changed, and I don't think I've had very many McDonald's French fries since then. They, they, they really were never, lost yeah. their life for me. I, I tell the kids all the time, you don't really know how good these were. They were. They Actually, were um, Chef Miller had a contest at the fair. I believe it was the first day at the fair, and he had um, tasty fries from the fair make French fries fried in uh, beef tallow and then fries fried in, I believe it was peanut oil or something like that. And they had customers come up and sample the fries both and everybody seemed to like the beef tallow ones a lot more 
Isn't that interesting? I love it. <laughs> um, well, this has been a great pleasure for me to talk to you guys about food and um, having your little food or your spamily on the air to tell us a little bit about what you know and the origins of, of really your interest in your journey in food through the Orange County Fair. I love that you have taken the time as a family to share it with so many people and to watch you guys in your element was, was really a, a pleasure that day or the couple days that I got to witness you doing it. It was awesome. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much um, for, um, I guess, bringing it to the to the public. So hopefully more people will want to become better informed. True, yes. And Bella, you keep on doing what you're doing because the future needs you. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Thank you, folks, for being on the air today. And we will uh, sign out for today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much.